We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, Andrew Claudio, here with another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Filling in for John Macri here on the intro. He is away with his family on vacation. John, I hope you're having a good time. There is 0% chance you're listening to the intro, though. But if you are, then I hope you're having a good time. Um, I am here just to intro the podcast that you're about to listen to, which is John's Conversation. With Mike Jacobs, the general manager of the Nashville Soccer Club. I, it's in the MLS, or I think those are soccer clubs, or they might be football clubs. Anybody that wants to correct me, I don't pay attention to soccer. It's not a slight on soccer. I just I watch baseball. Um, so at a certain point, you only can have so much stimuli. And I had to eliminate any chance of me getting into soccer. So anybody that is into soccer or football, whatever you want to call it, um, please correct me if the Nashville... Uh, soccer club is actually the football club, or if I got it right, I'd appreciate you telling me that I got it right. This is a good conversation that you're about to hear. It is the perspective of what the Knicks should do. Mike is a, a big Knicks fan and has some thoughts on what the Knicks front office has done and what they might do and what they should do and what they could do. And it's good to get the perspective of somebody that has made uh, season-changing roster decisions. And I think you guys are going to enjoy uh, the conversation that you're about to hear between John and Mike. Mike, if you haven't yet, I'm going to give a plug to the pod we did on Sunday night. Jeremy was in his bag and the debut of the 2022 offseason of cap or no cap. Uh, it was brilliant. And I said it on Sunday, just I kind of sat back and watched it work. We didn't even realize that he didn't add LaMelo Ball to the Hornets cap sheet. And it if anything, furthered his agenda to uh, add him, add Mello to his spreadsheet and then realize, oh, yeah, this is another reason why they might want to trade Gordon Hayward for the proposed trade that Jeremy came up with. Um, but I just the rest of the conversation really lays out what the Knicks have ahead of them this offseason. It's in two parts on the podcast feed. It's in three parts on the YouTube channel. Really think you'll enjoy it um, if you haven't yet. And to those who have seen it and enjoyed it and told us about it, thank you. We put a lot of work into these podcasts and we love the feedback when we get it. One more thing before we get out of here, at least before I get out of here to send you to the conversation with John and Mike. 
I got to talk about Prize Picks, our our sponsor. That's Daily Fantasy Made Easy. Use promo code Film School and get uh, an instant deposit match up to a hundred dollars. So whatever your first deposit is, they will match it, and you can go ahead and play Daily Fantasy over at Prize Picks, which is taking overs and unders on the different props that they have available. Um, I played a prop tonight during the uh, NBA playoffs, and I want to just give a thank you to Trey Young for absolutely nothing. Um, the line that the Garden chants during games that you play in, um, I fully endorse it again because I took five overs tonight. One was Jimmy Butler, who had 45 points. I took the over in his points. Um, shout out Jimmy Butler. One is Brandon Ingram, who I took the over in points. Um, shout out Brandon Ingram had like a career high and a career night and nearly a triple double and to even up the series against the suns um i took chris paul over in assists he had 14 i took um i took devin booker over in points and even though he missed the, i think most of the second half he still had 31 in the first half so i hit that over so all i needed was trey young to also bounce back from the embarrassing game one against the team where he wasn't going to get every single foul call and have a good game too. And he did have a good game too. Like he did shoot two for 10 from three, but like you'll take, uh, you'll take the 10 for 20 that he shot from the field. Um, unfortunately he had 25 points and his line was 25 and a half. So one more point, Trey, you, you, you hunt for free throws for a living and you couldn't hunt for one more. Um, so yeah, I, I, I fully endorse the, the bleep Trey Young chant. If you guys just in your cars right now, uh, if, if you have children, I'll just avoid actually saying it. But I think that's actually a word you can teach when it's matched with Trey Young afterwards, like not to be the, the uh, irresponsible parent, but I'm not a parent yet. So I can be this irresponsible bleep. Trey Young is a perfectly fine phrase to teach anybody. Um, so I, I fully endorse it tonight because I was this close to going five for five. Instead, I doubled up, which is still a good night. Um, it's made the playoffs a little bit extra fun. So, you know, responsibly, I will endorse and obviously promote prize picks. Who's been a great partner of ours throughout the season. And uh, hopefully our partner of ours going forward. Okay. Think that's enough from me. Let's get into it. The conversation John had with Mike Jacobs, the general manager of Nashville SC. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, he's a returning guest, although I feel like it's been a while since I don't even remember what was going on in Knicks land when we last spoke. It was probably last offseason. In any case, he's had a busy time since then um, running. Uh, one of uh, the more successful franchises in uh, Major League Soccer here in America, uh, the Nashville franchise. Uh, they have grown up from their nascent uh, expansion roots, now in the midst of their third season as a part of the MLS. Um, the GM of the Nashville Soccer Club, Mike Jacobs. Hello, Mike. Jonathan, how are you? I'm doing great. I, I'm gonna, I have to admit this to our listeners because it would be disingenuous of me not to. I asked you when we were chatting off air, I'm like, so when does the new season start? And you're like, yeah, we're actually six games in. I had absolutely no idea because I've been so caught up with the Knicks the last few weeks. I haven't even um, thought to check up to see if you guys were in fact starting a new season and you have, and you're uh, three wins, two losses and a draw. So not too bad so far. Yeah. You know, I was, as we were talking about earlier uh, with a winter world cup this year with the world cup being in, in Qatar or Qatar, depending on how you pronounce it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, we had the shortest off season in league history 
because we're going to end our season earlier. So there's no conflict with the World Cup. And, you know, I think because that it's kind of funny too. you think about how quickly things have moved for us this offseason. Last year, I think I saw five Knicks games live uh, at home or on the road. Uh, This year, I didn't go to one game live. So uh, I think I watched, I think, 76 of them live on either MSG Go or NBA League Pass. But, uh, you know, but just with such such a short offseason, it was hard to kind of sync up. Cause like, I remember tracking your season and then obviously you, um, you guys made it into the playoffs second year in a row, second year in a row, making it to the, uh, conference semifinals and correct me if I'm wrong, second year in a row losing on, um, penalty kicks, right? Well, we lost in overtime the first year, but okay. you know, both games are very similar, you know, I mean, uh, opposed to losing in penalty kicks this last year to Philadelphia. Um, but it, it, re- I, I, I guess it, you know, it's the effect of the basketball season. It really kind of takes me out of the rest of life for a period of time, but it really does seem like yesterday. And now, so your off season, what couldn't have been more than three or four months, something like that. It was less than that. It was probably like six, eight weeks. What did you rest at all? Like, what, what was that like for you? Well, it's ironic because you think of the idea of the off season and people are getting away, you know, when it comes to the general manager, uh, you know, Look, the Knickerbockers have a president of basketball operations, you know, which is probably a similar job description to mine. You know, uh, that's usually the busiest time of the year. You know, so for us, I, I think the best chance kind of to de- decompress a little bit is once the season starts, because it's kind of more nine to five, where the traditional off season is our busiest time of the year. Okay. Um, and, and this was even more compressed than usual. And the other thing, which is notable, which we were also just talking about um, off air, is that you uh, are about to open a new stadium, except it was not ready yet for the start of the season. And so you are about to play your seventh consecutive road game to begin the year. Did I get that right? That's correct. Yeah, we were talking earlier about it being like the equivalent of the the San Antonio Spurs rodeo road trip. Uh, I think it's only been seven teams in MLS history that have started the season with eight plus road games. But at the same time, you must be excited to open the new the new arena. Oh, it's awesome! You know, I, we, you know we we uh, I use this analogy. I actually stole it from uh, Shane Battier. He uh, uh, he did a uh, he was involved in a staff retreat we had a couple of years ago, and then we okay. did some sharing of best practices. You know, he he finished his playing career and was working with the Heat as their d- director of strategy analytics, and we had synced up our scouting analytics departments with the heats scouting analytics departments. So it was awesome from the standpoint of sharing case studies and best practices. And, you know, he used the, the idea of using analytics. He used the analogy of being like card counters in the casino. So, uh, you know, for us, you know, we look at that in the last seven years in MLS, how many points you need to qualify for the playoffs uh, in our sport, you get three points for a win, one point for a tie. And, you know, with us having to play, our first eight games of the season all on the road where it's challenging. We've got a good idea of what we have to do to qualify for the playoffs. Like how many points we need to get through those first eight games. Sure. And the reality is, uh, you know, in a 34 game season, uh, you know, 17 home, 17 away, you know, by the time we open our new stadium in, in, in two weeks, we would have played half our road games already. So again, you guys are uh, in seventh place right now, which there's uh, for anybody who doesn't know, there's uh, 14 teams in both conferences, right? I know there's 14 teams in your conference Um, and you guys are holding strong in seventh place. Uh, You have to feel pretty good about that. Yeah, absolutely. I I think sometimes when it comes to looking at the standings, it's probably in all sports also, it's still a little early to be looking at them. I mean, you know, we, we, we sit in, I think seventh in the standings, you know, or sixth in the standings, but we're only three points, which is one win out of first place. So it's still kind of early, but, but when you see what we've done in our first six games, you know, on the road, winning three of them, 
uh, in MLS, it's the uh, it has the most significant home field advantage of any league in the world. Really? Uh, the, the away team only wins 25% of the time. <sighs> so, you know, thinking about, you know, the fact that we have three wins out of our first six, uh, there were six teams in MLS last year that won less than three road games the whole season. Wow. Uh, there were six more that won just three games the whole season. So, you know, that's almost half the teams in our league won three or less road games the whole season last year. And we've done it in six games. So I, um, you brought up last season, I'm happy you did, because I want to talk about that a little bit. So you, again, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, you guys were an expansion club in 2020. Um, the, the club had been around in a different league for a couple of years, but first year in MLS. And would it be fair to say you, you surprised some folks by making the second round of the playoffs? Absolutely. Look, in, in all sports, you know, trying to think the last time there was an expansion team in, in the NBA, it's like the Vancouver Grizzlies, you know. I, uh, I want to say, well, because but then there was the the Hornets came came back because they had moved. So maybe it was yes. were the or they were the Bobcats for yes. Yeah, something I think it was that was one of them. But but most expansion teams in all sports not only fail miserably, they usually like like hemorrhage goals or points defensively. You know, so for us to have, you know, to gone to the playoffs in our first year and to have, you know, won two different playoff games to uh, last year, we were the first team in MLS history to win games in both of our first two seasons in the playoffs. So, so you have this kind of out of nowhere, very surprising year in your first year. Last year, I think people were a little bit more obviously aware of you guys. and, And I was going back before and looking at some of your, some of the preseason predictions in MLS before the 2021 season. And, and you were definitely on the radar. Were, how cognizant were you going into last season of a possible like letdown or like, like we had exceeded expectations in this, in this first year. Now, how do I make sure that we don't fall off in year two? I think it's natural when you think of after you have any level of success, like you think about the the patron saint of team building, Pat Riley, you know, uh, you know, he used to always talk about, uh, the, you know, the, the idea of the disease of more, you know, yep. that once you have success, whether it's players wanting more money, more playing time, players or staff, larger roles, you know, so for us, I think we try to make sure as much as we could that we really keep the group humble enough that they appreciated that where we had great success for a first year team, the full scheme of things, we really hadn't accomplished that much, you know, so we're pretty humble to the standpoint that or maybe we're doing well for a first year team or second year team for us to continue to kind of ascend among the top teams in our league. We still kind of have a ways to go. And, and is that, is that something that you need to make sure like everybody in the organization understands like that mentality to, to guard against whatever, whether you want to call it the disease of, of more, whatever it is. And I, if so, I imagine that that's probably not the easiest thing to do because there's a lot of people involved in a, a soccer organization. Yeah, it's, look at the idea of managing expectations. It's not only for our players and staff, but to that point, to uh, fans, uh, media, uh, maybe ownership. You know, okay. uh, uh, you know, it's you know, we we talk a lot. Or, you know, during the course of the year, you and I. I mean, you know, following Knickerbockers is like my guilty pleasure, and it's a way for me to help kind of like decompress from what I'm doing. But you know, the, what's really ironic about that is as I've kind of grown and evolved into what I'm doing for a living. I mean, you know, what what is my passion? also is something I do every day. So it's hard to not look at what I'm doing and then try to mirror that or associate that with what's happening or not happening at the garden. And, you know, I, I think, especially when you look at what happened from the season prior to the one that's ended for the Knicks, I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's hard to maintain expectations, 
but I think not only to maintain it on the court, but I think that process of managing it off the court, whether it's Tibbs in a locker room or Leon and his staff, you know, with their staff, with uh, fans, media, you know, there's challenges, obviously. So it's funny you bring up challenges and Tom Thibodeau in the same sentence. Um, <laughs> we, we, I feel like we haven't had it. We, we talk a lot off, offline. I feel like we haven't had a ton of conversations about Tibbs other than just the normal, you know, like maybe surprise he went with in this direction or that direction. Like what, before I ask you a more specific question, what are your, what are your thoughts generally about Tom Thibodeau? Like do you, are you high on him? Are you low on it? Where, where are you? So I would tell you, you know, in general, I'm a big Tibbs fan. Uh, I have a sign hanging in my office that says, you know, uh, you know, we don't lose. We either win or we learn, you know, uh, uh, (laughs) yeah. You know, um, the year before he had gotten the job with the Knickerbockers, uh, I I heard him speak at Sloan at the, the, you know, the sports analytics conference and was really blown away. And I was excited when he was on the panel, uh, just from the standpoint that, you know, I was a fan of his teams in Chicago and the way his teams played and, uh, you know, to, to, to think of someone who's described as old school and to have him on a panel talking about sports analytics, I appreciate the fact that he talked about maybe how he's evolved as a coach and how he'd use that more. Uh, you know, looking at things like plus minus, you, you think about an, an hour on our sport, I think about like, I hope like it's my sport, you know, but like, uh, you it's, know, it's you, all you, my sport. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But you know, but when you look at like basketball and you think so much of it is the combinations of players who play together the rotation of players you use together. I think especially last year when the team had done so well, you know, he showed a penchant like for making tough decisions and whether it was sitting RJ in the fourth quarter or, you know, um, giving IQ some run in his rookie year, you know, in in crunch time. uh, You know, I I think he laid a great foundation in his first year. Uh, What I will say is I, I do think, there are challenges sometimes, and I, and I see it like in my own job, my own sport, or relating, or relating to what I do to, you know, to what happens to the Knicks or, or the NBA. You know, you have to understand. I think coaches are very short-term in a thought process. You know, coaches are thinking to themselves, "I have to win right now and keep my job." You know, where a general manager or a president of basketball operations, they're thinking, "I want to be," you know, they're thinking sustained success. Sure. They're thinking, I, "I have to win today, but I, I have to win the rest of the season next year, five years from now." And you know, I, I think about like. You know, the challenge that Tibbs has appears to have maybe a play in young players. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think you can look at that, but you can also see, you know, RJ in season two, when he was like in the top five in a league in minutes played. Yeah, he was up there. Yeah, you know, so I, I think it's it's hard to, you know, you, you, can't, you can't take either or. Either he doesn't play the kids or he does, but it depends which ones he is. Uh, I can absolutely appreciate, you know, down the stretch, I think, you know, if you're, if you're not winning, you have to play your young players to build your asset war chest up to either build their stock to move them on or to give them an opportunity to see what you have to use them going forward. Um, you know, maybe we didn't always see that, you know, at times when we you know, did specific, not, we did it. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to be polite. You know, I was you about know. to say you, I, yeah. I could be, and I listen, I've, I've been the one who's been defending Tibbs all year, but I was looking it up at, you know, like 82 game season, Emmanuel quickly, I think played, he was available for over 70 of those games to have, to have three starts, you know, and not that starting is everything, but like you look at that number and you look at Obi, obviously only got in the starting lineup after Randall went down. Um, I think it, maybe that's kind of what you're, you're angling towards. Like you would have liked to see a little bit more of, of those sorts of numbers go up. 
Yeah, you know, whenever I talk with my buddies in reference like per 36 minutes, you know, in regards to OB or IQ, and that would be most of the year was talking about is per 36. And, and you were always great posting stuff about, especially earlier in the year, like where is per 36 matched up with guys like yeah. Giannis and Anthony Davis early in the season, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you know, but, you know, like, like, like my brother's response or his buddy's response will always be like, you know, well, well you know, rather than it's per 36, why don't they just play him 36 minutes? <laughs> you <laughs> well, know, but- like... Yeah, no, and it's funny. I was looking up some stats. I, I, all I do was look up stats. It, they uh, top. I, I if you look at the NBA's just total plus minus on the year, um, and there there are two, three players in the top one hundred in that stat uh, on teams that did not make either the play in or the playoffs, and they're all Knicks. And there's Emmanuel quickly at, and I think he's thirty fifth. Obi Toppin, 76th. And interestingly enough, Alec Burks, who's, I think, in the somewhere in the 90s. So the thing that's so interesting, and I think what infuriated a lot of a lot of fans, is that it's not just, well, the season's not going in the direction we think it, it should be. Many people thought it should be going. You know, let's play the kids for that reason. There's evidence to say that these kids are actually going to help you win more games. So, like, if you have a coach who has these tendencies, clearly, like, it's very obvious especially down the stretch of games. Um, how are you, how could you imagine trying to handle that from a front office perspective? Like, what do you, or is that something that should have been figured out before you hired the man in the first place? Like what, like, how, how would you handle this? Well, that's, what's hard too, because it certainly looked like when, you know, when Tibbs was hired that he was, you know, clearly selected by a president of basketball operations that had a tie with him. Uh, they certainly seemed like aligned on and off the court. And, you know, that is important because if you don't have that, it's just not going to work, you know, and, and whether it's in selection of players you're bringing in, you know, uh, players are jettisoning, moving out, you know, there's gotta be an alignment where you're on the same page. And, you know, when you read comments or when you see rotations and it maybe doesn't, whether it's, you know, young players not being used that that's fans, we think are, are going to be the nucleus of the team, uh, whether it's players that are added in the off season and they aren't integrated in the rotation, you know, or in midseason, like Cam Reddish. Or in midseason, yeah. yeah. You know, you have to wonder about how aligned that is. And, you know, I, I, I would say, I, I think it's very common in sport for those two positions not to be aligned. I think it's very common in sport for a head coach to walk in and find out that a new player was acquired or a player in his team was traded. Uh, huh. What I will tell you, though, I think as often as that happens, it normally happens to teams that don't do well. Uh, the, the teams that do really well, you have that alignment where you, you kind of see that, that it's not just buy-in that the coach and the GM communicate very regularly, uh, that they're on the same page, that decisions are made, that they're doing it together. Uh, you know, we always talk about the fact that you know, our head coach, Gary Smith, where, where he might necessarily be able to pick the players that he wants all the time. He has ultimately like kind of like a veto power that like, I'd say power, but like our relationship, I'm, I'm just not going to acquire a player that he's not on board with. So can I can I ask you about that a little more specifically? Because what we've been led to believe from the reporting, at least about the Knicks, is that Leon Rose at least endeavored to have a sort of setup where all of the voices in the room, like it, like they had legitimate say, and he would listen to everybody, and then they, they those you know opinions would coalesce towards one thing. If there comes a point where there is a significant disagreement, like let's say your coach is is like, no, I really don't want this guy. Like what happens if like your entire front office or most of your front office is really on the same page? And like we feel this is a really good opportunity. Like has that happened or what what do you think you might do if that happens? 
So our CEO, uh, Ian Ayer, uh, before he was here years ago, he actually ran Liverpool. You know, one of the biggest okay. clubs in the world. You know, when uh, uh, when he was when he was at Liverpool, it was it was coined in the media there that they had a transfer committee. You know, because in, in soccer or football, you can buy and sell players, and the idea was it wasn't one person with his finger on the button. It was it was kind of a committee that worked together. And I don't know that's that's different than in most sports, uh, but I, I think again, I think the ones that work really well together, I think work in that setting. And and for us, you know, like uh, you know. Maybe like not, I don't know, like literally like a round table like King Arthur, but like when you look at our table, <laughs> you know, I've I surround myself. My assistant general manager Ali McKay is a, is a former agent. Okay. Uh, my director of player personnel Chance Myers is a former player in the league. Okay. Uh, our director of strategy analytics used to work for the largest you know data collection company like in, in our sport, Opta. Uh, you know, and then wow. I have our head coach Gary Smith and our CEO Ian Air. And, you know, if we're going to acquire a player, we will kick it around. And, you know, to your point, I mean, I think it's our responsibility to demonstrate to the coach that this player provides value. Uh, I think saying that, I think the worst thing you can do is to ignore what your coach is saying. I say this to these guys all the time, like, listen to our coach. I'm not saying do what he says. What I'm saying is listen to the things he's telling us. He's he's, he's putting down breadcrumbs. Uh, To acquire a player that he is not going to play, you create a huge problem for your organization. You know, and at that point, if, if if you're not aligned, something has to change, and it's either the player, the coach, or the decision makers. And I, I just, you know, as we've kind of gone now from a very successful Knicks season to a a, a less successful one, um, it, it's interesting to me that, like, you know, you, I'm, we heard reporting that there were disagreements during the first season about, you know, going to acquire certain free agents, or and they didn't you know, and they went in a different direction. It feels like uh, when, when winning is happening, it smooths over a lot of those sorts of, you know, ruffling of feathers. But when I feel like when the losses start, that's when your organizational metal gets, gets tested. And to me, well, I'm, I want to hear from you. What did this season potentially reveal to you about what may or may not be happening, you know, behind the scenes in terms of how they they're running things? Well, it's hard. And it's hard to express a little bit because look, look like you. If you look at me, I mean, I think my, my day, my sun rises and sets by how the Knicks do, and you know, obviously, it's you know, like you know, I always say about you know, like our fans here. I mean, I, I want to be like like the Knicks or the Yankees here in Nashville. I want our fans to be passionate, and I want them to care about our team desperately. You know, uh, but sometimes when you have that, you know, sometimes you're more emotional and less analytical. You know, so it's yeah. hard to kind of separate that. And you know, I'm not at practice every day. You know, I'm not in the locker room, so it's hard for me to say like what's happening on a day to day basis. But you know, when you see. Well, not even when you see when when you hear reports about yep. after the fact, maybe not being totally on board with Kemba Walker, yep. not being totally war- on board with Cam Reddish, you know, you, you know, you have to step back and wonder like where that disconnect is because, again, I, I think acquiring players where everyone's not on board, you know, it, it causes a lot of problems because you know, one from a cap standpoint, you know, you know, it's not sure, unlimited, yeah. you know, it's a certain point, you know, you just can't, you know, you know between roster spots and, and cap space you have, you, you know, you just can't acquire thirty guys. You know, so, uh, you know, the idea of acquiring players that are going to be used, I think if not doing it, you're wasting not only opportunities for your team, but you're wasting valued money in cap space. Um, yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's interesting you bring up cap space because obviously the Knicks had a fair amount to work with in the, in the preseason and they ended up kind of going, trying to, I think, split the baby between continuity, bringing back certain guys, um, and also addressing, addressing needs. Um, 
you know, which is why I find it I find it interesting that the, the Kemba thing, like I remember when Kemba got signed, we, we were you were like, just like everybody else. Like you were excited. I was excited. For sure. We were going back. Like if you make a move that you're pretty sure, like, I don't know, has this happened to you where you've made a move where you're like, this is definitely going to work. I feel really good about this one. And then it starts going in a certain direction. Like how, how do you, do you feel like a responsibility to give it a certain amount of time or like, how do you handle something like that when a, when a best laid plans go wrong? Well, one thing our director of strategy analytics always talks about is like sample size, you know, like, is it a large enough sample size to determine whether it's working or not? You know, uh, a part of me thinks whether Kemba was going to perform well or not. I think one of the biggest challenges was D Rose getting hurt. You know, uh, not did we rely on him so heavily, but you think about the amount of minutes that he was going to play and the minutes Kemba was going to play in general. I mean, I, I think acquiring a player like Kemba with injury history, I, I think there are always going to be questions there. I think uh, from a defensive standpoint, whether he was a liability or not, looking at what Tibbs, Tibbs looks for in a player. Sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, there probably was a small group of people probably who weren't unhappy to see Elf leave, you know? So <laughs> you, you think about like, you know, the alternative, I mean, certainly on paper, you thought it'd be no worse than that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know, how long do you go before the experiment is a failed experiment? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, part of me thinks that, you know, again, I, I think D Rose getting injured, you know, if he was healthy, would it have masked some of those things? Would it have given Kemba a longer rope? Uh, I mean, the reality is, I mean, you know, I, I think we're still not totally sure about what IQ is, whether he's a, a lead guard, a point guard, a combo guard, whether he is the guy, you know, uh, but it certainly seems like, you know, moving away from Kemba with D Rose injured, whether Alec Burks made the most sense, whether it was going with an unproven rookie in Miles McBride, you know, like the contingency plan, you know, the, the lack of parachute if Kemba didn't work. Yeah. You know, I, I think once D Rose got hurt, I, I think it really put us in a hard spot, you know? It's like um, when you, when you, I've never, have you ever uh, sky gone skydiving? I have not. I'm I have that. not either. I will not either. There's that is one of the, it's like I, I, I'm leading a, a very happy life. I'm not going to jump out of a plane, but it's like you have the parachute and then the backup parachute. Except this is it feels like they're they're back whatever you wear when you go skydiving. It's like it was uh, ne- neither of the two shoots were like checked for you know fail safes. Um, you know, that, but again, that's something that they should have perhaps thought of, and and they didn't. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Hey guys, quick break to tell you about Factor. Factor makes it easy to eat clean 24-7 with fresh, never-frozen, prepared meals that are so delicious you wouldn't believe they're actually good for you. Factor saves you time by delivering chef-crafted meals to your doorstep, eliminating the hassle of grocery shopping and meal prep. Not to mention cleanup, no dishes to wash here. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. That's even faster than ordering in. Factor tackles the tough stuff so I don't have to. Their registered dietitians and expert chefs work hand-in-hand to create meals with nutritious ingredients. And with 29 meal options each week, I'm never bored. Going off script for this next part to tell you just how convenient and delicious I've found Factor. My to-do list is usually never-ending, whether it's producing this show, hosting my own show final review, preparing a proposal in Long Beach, doing my taxes, or whatever else. I rarely have time for meal prep. When Factor sent me a box to test out, I chose the extra protein option. They sent me a week's worth of meals, and I had no idea just how convenient this was going to be. Each meal comes pre-prepared. You just put it in the microwave for two minutes, wait another two minutes for it to cool down, and boom, in four minutes, my meal is ready, and it's delicious as well. Last night while I was editing this podcast, I heated up the pork shepherd's pie with white cheddar Yukon mash and roasted green beans. Not only was the prep time non-existent, but I was able to get a lunch break in and still get the podcast out for all of you to hear without taking a significant break. They have plenty of other meal options as well. There's vegan and veggie meals, keto, low-calorie options, cold-pressured juices, smoothies, energy bites, plant-based bars, extra protein, the one I chose, veggie sides, and more to keep you fueled and focused all day long. Don't hesitate. Head to go.factor75.com slash filmschool120 and use promo code filmschool120 and get $120 off. That's code filmschool120 at go.factor75.com slash filmschool120 for $120 off. You brought up IQ. I want to get back to him in a second. First, I want to pick your brain about the trade deadline. So I waited until I brought this up. Of all of your great career accomplishments, I have to think very near the top is your name appearing on the recent athletic survey of uh, an anonymous GM survey, right? In which you were not only named one of the most difficult or toughest, toughest negotiators in the, in the sport uh, as GM, but also one of the most difficult to work with. I'm wondering which of those two you're prouder of. I mean, I, I guess you never want to have it where the opposing clubs think that you're going to, you know, just give valuable assets away uh, yeah. to me. You know, I, I think they're probably similar questions, you know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I always look at it like you hear stories about because you're closer to draft day that like when Danny Ainge was at the Celtics or, you know, Pat Riley, when they called, you know, they don't want to pick up. And, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, on draft day that people see me calling that maybe that they would not be as, as, as quick to pick up or reluctant to do a deal with us. I want to have a good relationship with the other team's clubs. Uh, you know, the reality is other than when your two teams play each other on game day, I mean, like we all have to work together. But I'd like to I like to think that people would think that I'm pretty thoughtful about what we're going to do, and that, you know that we that we're pretty uh, uh, diligent about like kicking the tires on things as far as looking at, at different players or different deals. I mean, I think the proof is in the pudding, which is obviously you're you're very good at your job. Uh, the 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 uh, record speaks for itself. Um, I'm just curious because like so clearly you're you you are a very good negotiator with both trades, and I'm sure with agents and everything. Um, this trade deadline, again, I remember we were talking before it. 
we were talking about the possibilities and the Knicks ended up, you know, putting the cam thing aside, you know, kind of sitting on their hands. Um, when you are, you know, whether it's in free agency or ahead of trade deadline or, or anything like that, when you kind of have an idea of what you need or, or what you really want, how tough can it be to balance? Like, man, I, I know our, I know this would be best for our club with going overboard and, and run the risk of essentially, you know, doing nothing and maybe hurting yourself more in that way. So two pieces of advice that, that might um, come to each other a little bit uh, that I got when I first got into this business was one was from a mentor that like, if, if you know the player you need for your team, it, regardless of market value, regardless of, of what assets you have, you know, exhaust we have to do to get that player because if it okay. works out. No one will care like what you spent to get them. You know, uh, you sure. know the, the, cha- the challenge along with that, you know, I think it was part and parcel with that to me is you, you never want to be in a situation where you can't walk away from it from a, a trade. You know, you ever want to be in a situation where you're so deep and so far in that now you take advantage of. And, you know, look, we talked about a couple of those deals. Is it, you know, uh, you know, I, I think one of the hardest ones I was talking with the buddy this morning about was, uh, you know, when you look at where what happened with Mitch, well, you know, we've been talking uh, a lot about that. Yeah. You know, and, you know, what I would say is in every team is different. So, and I tell you also, it's not as easy as this, but, you know, I think about like best practices, we spend a lot of time trying to do case studies and look, I've told you sometimes it's take your newsletter and I forward to my staff. You know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, just yesterday I was texting with uh, two guys who I lead on in the league, uh, Zach Kleiman from Memphis and RC Buford with San Antonio and wishing both of them good luck. You know, I said, since my team is out <laughs> rooting for your team now, you know, <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know, a lot of times we'll look at things that different teams do, not only in our sport, but we're the only salary cap league in the world for soccer. So I spend just as much time looking at the Spurs and Grizzlies, the Patriots and, De- and Double Rays, as I do like Real Madrid or Barcelona. And, you know, uh, I think you look at these case studies and then it helps you maybe looking at either what one team does well, maybe learning what not to do. It's kind of, kind of best practices. And you know, where it is different for each player, each sport, I kind of feel like once you get into 18 months left on a player's contract, mm-hmm. you have to either put them in a new deal. Okay. Because in six months time, they're in their last year. And, you know, other than maybe someone trying to strengthen up their team for like for a, like for a playoff chase, you, know, you, you probably be able to get good value for a player in the last year of their deal. Sure. Uh, you know, so you're either going to put them in a new deal. You're going to trade them and get assets for them before they hit that, you know, that inside 18 months, or you kind of just have this come to Jesus as a staff and say, look, maybe it's better for us to keep this player on our roster and just kind of keep him through the race of his contract and let them walk. You know, wow. uh, no, sorry. I've, I've, yeah. Continue. Hey, look, you saw the Spurs last year. I remember talking to RC, you know, around that, that same time the year, the year prior with Aldridge and DeRozan, what they were going to do. And, you know, they, they held on to DeRozan, you know, and they, you know, mutually terminated with, with Aldridge. Uh, you know, for me, I, I think, you know, and again, I'm, I'm not in the offices with Leon and his staff, you know, but like the one for me, I kind of felt like, like, you know, the shoe that was going to drop was Mitch because, you know, I mean, even at the deadline, he was only six months away from his deal expiring. You know, I, I just, you know, I just didn't know if it was too late at that point, you know, at the deadline. But I also kind of felt if you don't do something at the deadline, you know, he's probably going to walk. The biggest what if of the season for me easily uh, or the th- maybe not what if the biggest question if i you know if i could get leon rose in a room and give him truth serum um is what was the best deal on the table for robinson or was it maybe there was no real deal on the table right i mean i, I actually you know well I, well I have you on let me so you know we hear all the time about like teams talk right teams talk teams throw but no firm 
offer or, or whatever, you know, was ever made. Like, do you get, how easy is it to get a sense of like what you could get for your player or like what another player is like, is that, does that get out of the way early? And then it just comes down to like, all right, we know this is there. If we want it, we could revisit it if we need to. Yeah, like I mentioned, you know, other than the day that teams play each other, that, you know, that in every sport, you know, the GMs have to work together. And, you know, what I would say is most trades that develop, I'm trying to think, let's say that the Cam Reddish trade, you know, that wasn't like one day Leon picked the phone up and it happened. You know, my guess is it was days, weeks, maybe months in the making okay. before that. You know, uh, uh, you know, so I think very rare does it just happen like on a whim, like maybe you see in a movie where someone picks the phone up, makes a call and the trade just happens. You know, I think like, uh, draft day. Uh, yeah. I, 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 you know, I, yeah. I think it's a campy Disney-esque type story. I think that's great. But I think the reality is it probably doesn't happen very often. Okay. Uh, you know, even like, you know, like when myself or my assistant GM travel, a lot of times it's, it's you know, connecting with the other team staff and maybe it's kicking the tires on players, you know, sharing interest okay. in players. Uh, you know, we had acquired a player you know, before our first season as an expansion team in 2020, uh, Walker Zimmerman, and you know, he's captain of the U.S. national team, and he, yeah. he's been the MLS defender of the year the past two years, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, and where it didn't just happen overnight, and we weren't calling every day, you know, I would say every, you know, every three or four months at different times, when I had spoken to LAFC's, their staff, you know, made it clear that, hey, if you ever looking to to move him at some point, we'd be a very willing taker, you know? Do you, do you have to guard against... Uh, I don't know, you know, like being the being the high school boy who wants to go out with the girl, uh, the, you know, the prettiest girl in school. You know, being too overeager, I guess. Yeah, I think you have to be careful about that. I think you also be cautious about that player's agent finding out or the player finding out. You know, I mean, sometimes okay. it's just kicking the tires. You know, sometimes having a conversation, but it could turn into, uh, you know, hey, I heard you looking at moving my my player, okay. or a player knocking door. Hey, I heard you looking at shopping me. You're looking at trading me. You know, when it, that totally isn't the case, you know, I mean, uh, you know, so I think you, know, you have to kind of separate, you know, what's fact and what's fiction. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting because, you know, the reality is, I mean, you know, what was on the table, you know, you know, we can all come up with, with you know, with fantastic, like fantasy type trades. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, we, we kicked the Aaron Fox around ad nauseum, you know, I mean, and ended up not moving him in Sacramento. So, I mean, who knows? if he ever was even like, you know, like on the, you know, on the table at all. Sure. It's very possible. That it was all fantasy basketball type stuff that we were kicking around and it was never realistic. Well, uh, the, the name that was being kicked around in association with the Aaron Fox is a name that is still being kicked around. Uh, Julius Randall, just to even take off your, your GM hat for a second. Can you ever remember a, something like this happening to a, a professional athlete coming off of a year? that he had last year. Cause I've been racking my brain. I, I can't, I can't think of one. And I know you're as, as much of a sports historian as I am. Yeah. It's, it's hard. And you know, a lot of times you, you think I need to take GM hat off, but you know, you always hear about how motivated a player is and like the last year of a contract, you know, trying to uh -huh. prove themselves, you know, and where Julius maybe wasn't in the last year of his deal. You know, I, I get asked by friends a lot, like it, when, when the season started, you know, how much, and how much did Julius' performance, how much was that affected by getting a new deal? You know, uh, it, it's hard to say. I, I don't know Julius, you know, uh, other, yeah. other than just watching him on TV and looking at his body language, you know. Uh, I've, I've a Does that stuff time. matter to you? Like, I, 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 obviously it matters to you as a Knicks fan, but like, how, when, you know, do you pay attention to that stuff when you're looking at your own team? Like, or are you, because like, I think some fans think like, oh, well, Leon Rose isn't paying attention to Julius slumping his shoulders. And like, I'm kind of like, you know what? I think he is. 
I can't believe that anyone in that role wouldn't do that. You know, uh, okay. it's not a it's not a popularity contest. I don't think you're doing things just because like you know fans say they want this, but you know ultimately you're trying to put together a team that's going to make your fans happy. Uh, in most cases, and especially in New York, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a team that's been built over the years, the most successful teams around a hardworking, gritty, grinded out type players, you know, and, uh, you know, I think Julius embodied that last season. Yeah, he did. And I think, yeah, you know, I think the reason why fans cheer for guys like Obi, you know, and like IQ, it's just, it's just, you know, yes, Obi will, you know, we'll do in-game dunks that we haven't seen. I, I'm not sure I've ever seen a player doing game dunks like that before. You know, uh, right. I, I pretty much Vince Carter the other day. I don't think I've ever seen Vince Carter like put a ball through his legs like during not the in, game during that. Not in the, the the best Vince one I remember was a dunk on morning when he was, I think he was with the Nets, if I recall correctly. But anyway, yeah, uh, Obi pulls some out. Yeah, He's yeah, but, but but I also think like you know, I, I think as much as he does exciting things, I think it's his energy and enthusiasm, how hard he plays. Yep. Uh, you know, I think his body language, I think it's endearing. You know, I think, uh, look, we, you know, we all love, uh, you know, you know, Rowan Aaron Barrett Jr. You know, I mean, like, uh, you know, I think not only is he like a super kid, but again, his body language, you know, he looks like he's really engaged and also how hard he plays. I mean, he goes to the rack so hard. Like, you know, I think, you know, like uh, he takes players on and I, I think you appreciate that. And, you know, those are things that independent of how many points you score. Lights just went off motion. Light. Uh, you <laughs> it's know, okay. I, I can still I, see you. All right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think as, as much as, you know, we like that he's scoring 20 plus points per game. I, I think a large part of it is how hard he plays and his attitude and effort. And, you know, I, I think you know, I, I, I can't imagine that Julius wasn't frustrated by, you know, sure. either what he's hearing, what he's reading, what he's, you know, what he's seeing. But there's no question that those things, you know, whether it's uh, a coach, whether it's a front office staff, you know, those things matter. Uh, you've been amazing with your time. I, I promised myself I wasn't going to keep you for too long, but I, I have to hit on a couple couple more. So you mentioned your RJ. Um, he's eligible this summer for um, what could be a, a match extension. A um, lot of money. Um, hasn't hasn't played like a max player yet, but you know you can. I think there are opinions out there like he will grow into that. There are opinions he'll grow maybe to to be just just shy of that. When he is arguably the best thing you have going as a franchise right now. And it seems like the, all parties are on good terms. He you know, says he loves being a Knicks, says he loves playing in New York, the whole thing. How, how careful do you need to be, do you think, if you're Leon Rose of, um, again, I'll ask Mr. Tough Negotiator, uh, like, how do you handle this? Because you like you want to keep him how important is it basically to keep him happy or does it just do not worry about that and you just have to do what's you know what's best for your team i i don't how would you approach that well i mean i like the idea of using comps in negotiation and uh you know we talk about this a lot from an analytics standpoint also it's sometimes comps can be dangerous like comparisons because you know because it works for one player doesn't mean it works for somebody else uh i think comparing players uh, how their style of play. I think it can, it can create a reference point, like in scouting. Sometimes I'll say, who does this guy remind you of? Sure. Uh, and I, you know, I don't necessarily think a comp means I'm saying this player is as good as, you know, like, uh, you know, we'll talk about IQ. I know, but like, you know, early on, I said, if, if his floor was Lou Williams yeah. and his ceiling was Trey young, I think we'd all be doing like, you know, like handstands, you know, and cartwheels. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, but, but I'm not necessarily saying he'll be as good as either of those players, but the role he's used in and how he plays Maybe that's how I would use that. Uh, uh, I like using data analytics in negotiations because you know, it's like objective versus subjective. Sure. You, know, you yeah. have your opinion, then you have fact. 
You know, and I think for me, when you look at other players and look, you do a good job of that too. And I know you wrote about it recently. Uh, I think when you look at comps of other players, his age, when they've gotten that extension yeah. to me, I, I think it's hard to make an argument when you had that and you're armed that kind of information. It's hard for an, for an agent to say, yeah, I, I get that, but he wants this. Every player wants a max contract. Every player wants to be special, but you have to be realistic about market value. And, you know, I, I think RJ's demonstrated clearly that he deserves to have an, an extension. I think there are good comps out there for players at similar ages and similar statistical sure. production. And, I, you know, I, I think for the future of the franchise, I mean, I, I think, you know, he's someone needs to be tied up. What I would say, you know, so this is our third season in Major League Soccer. And in year one, we set up a roster where, you know, we have 30 players on our roster. I think half of those players, we didn't have guaranteed for more than one year. And okay. we had club options. Uh, in the NBA, you have player options. Uh, I, uh, that would drive me insane to know that <laughs> the idea of the uncertainty. Player back, yeah, yeah I, I just, you know, I mean, you have to like pry that kind of option for me to get it to somebody. I had to like my cold dead hands before I gave so I can play our option. <laughs> but, See, this, I mean, is why, this is why you're a tough negotiator. Yeah, you know, like, uh, but, but what I would say is, so year one, you know, we kind of, as, as most Spanish teams don't do well, we expected to, not, not to fail, but we expected that, you know, most of the players we had to not fit, not work. Okay. We wanted to be in a situation where if it didn't work, you know, we could blow it up and we could, you know, we'd only have 15 players guaranteed rather than the whole group. Uh, you know, going in the, you know, year one, we, we did fairly well and we brought most of that group back, but you know, about halfway through season two, once we knew that the, we had a nucleus of guys we could build around, we then try to tie the nucleus of that group up long-term. And, okay. you know, and, you know, you can look at that sometimes as saying, well, you know, you're tying a lot of your cap space up. To me, I think from an asset management standpoint, once you have those players tied up in a long-term deals, I guess in theory that they're, especially looking at the NBA, they're actually easier to trade knowing that now that, that the club that acquires them can control that asset. You know, uh, the, the Julius deal, whether people liked it or not, you know, we look at how much money he was making this year compared to players who were all-stars last year, like the same all-star game he played in. He's the 50th highest paid player in the league. And, you know, it's it, the one that I've been thinking a lot about, especially since he, I don't know if you realize this, Evan Fournier, since I saw this today, blew my mind. Since January 1st, most three-pointers in basketball. Now that's a deal that was panned at some throughout the season, but like, that's a deal. Like if I'm a team that maybe doesn't get the top of the line free agents, I'm looking at that. Like, okay, it's a lot of, it's $18 million a year. It's not nothing, but there's a team option. And it's like, that's a guy we can control. See, for me, I, I look at it like uh, that, that Julius deal where some people didn't like it. I thought, and, and look, he came off a great season last year and whether he was going to achieve that again, I just thought it was a great deal because now they had this asset they could control and kind of, if they had to move to get other assets. You know, uh, okay. to me, I think you know, just phrase a lot like having like an, like an asset war chest. You know, mm. I think you want to be in a situation. So, uh, you know, your team doesn't do well. You, you know, you get draft picks, uh, you know, so you get other young assets. You play those young players and they either help your team get better or they're in a position where you can now move them to get other assets. Okay. You know, so yeah. when I look at like even like this, even this uh, last trade deadline, you know, uh, one of uh, one of my buddies, uh, you know, he always talks about like, you know, like, you know, I, I don't want Jalen Brunson. You know, I, I want a megastar. 
you know, a point guard, you know, like, uh, you know, I don't want uh, uh, Julius or LB. I want like Zion Williamson, you know, like, which I'm thinking also like 40 pounds ago, Zion, not like now, you know, <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, what I said is, you know, like, you know, you can't just say it's not fantasy league, you know, you can't just pick players, have them come. You have to have enough assets in your war chest to acquire those players. And to me, I think, you know, like even the idea of Fournier, whether he is the guy to start at the two in a really strong NBA team, for me, and I think it proved out that way, even with the even with the, the bumps along the way, I, I think it proved out it was an upgrade from from Bullock. And I think whether he ends up being that guy or it's Grimes or Reddish or they acquire somebody else, I think a year later, from where we're even after a playoff season, at that two spot right now between Fournier, Grimes, Reddish, you think that Burks really is a two. You know, I think the Knicks have a, a, a larger war chest of players. They could move to acquire other players. And I would say, even if it's not for the megastar, I think you keep acquiring assets. You look at like, absolutely. you know, I mean, I, I don't think a roster looks significantly different than Brooklyn before they acquired KD and Kyrie. Uh, I, I do think one of the challenges the something I think that we'll all have the challenges with sometimes is we're so mostly involved in our team that I think sometimes that we rate the players we have better than maybe other teams might rate them, you know, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, you, you know, like, like uh, you know, you think at the time, you know, the, the, the deal for Halliburton, you know, in Sacramento acquires oh, Sabonis, yeah. you know, I'm thinking like, you know, how can they not take Julius? And we know, but we, we don't even know if he was on a table, but you know, also maybe we see Julius all the time. And maybe at that time, you know, maybe, maybe we died it maybe differently than Sacramento would in comparison to bonus. Well, you, you bring up Julius again. I, I'd ask you one more about him um, because uh, again, you mentioned the body language stuff. You mentioned this, but at, at the same time, you mentioned this idea of this controllable asset, you know, cost control. My, my uh, podcast co-host Jeremy talks a lot about like other teams don't necessarily view Julius Randall as negatively as Nick fans do at this moment. Do you, do you think that they're like, would you, Imagine Leon Rose and his his group is is approaching this offseason with the mentality of we need to move on from this player because he is detrimental to what to our larger goals as an organization. Or as I suspect, you think it's more like this is an asset. We think he's worth this. We're not going to trade him unless we get back what we feel is commensurate value and, and more of a, you know, more of a, a black and white way of looking at it. We have a lot to unpack there, you know. So I mean, let me, let me take a. I try to hit them one at a time. Uh, sure. <laughs> you know, I, I think. Uh, you know, I, I think the hard part for Tibbs and the relationship between Tibbs and Leon and his staff is the idea of developing assets. You know, one of my worries about Julius as it started going along during the year was is he can get devalued. You know, to the point where if he if if he doesn't play, you know, like like so let, let's say the opposite. Let's say. And Tibbs obviously seemed to have, you know, be, you know, I'd be very fond of Julius, but let's say Tibbs didn't want to play him. You know, I could see a situation where the front office saying, look, hey, you need to keep playing this guy because we can't afford to have his stock go down. You know, like, so that that was a concern for me. You know, I wanted to see more of Obi. You know, I thought there was this dangerous game now, but, you know, how do we get Obi his minutes to see what he can do, you know, what, without devaluing Julius? You know, uh, you know, so, so I think that, so that's a challenge either way. And certainly it seemed like Tibbs wanted to keep using Julius. I think that the other piece about the, you know, the asset and devaluing it is, you know, maybe then you have the flip side and you have Leon and his staff say, Hey, we need to, we need to play Obi more to see what we have there to either increase his value to move him on or to keep him and then move Julius on, you know, maybe uh, that's what happened late in the season. You, we, you know, uh, potentially. It, it, it makes sense. And, and again, I think that's one of those challenges with the coach who wants to win now and play who he thinks is his strongest team. 
versus, you know, being in rebuild mode and, you know, and trying to play young kids. And I, I do think the challenge that you have is that most front offices are thinking, how do we develop our assets to create this war chest for the offseason? Where I think you have most coaches probably thinking, you know, you know, if I'm doing this, I might not be here when these young guys yeah. are playing. You know, I think about like the NFL coach who doesn't want a rookie quarterback. He wants a 30-year-old quarterback. He doesn't want to play the rookie kid who will make a lot of mistakes. And by the time he figures it out three years from now, that coach isn't there anymore. But, you know, but, uh, but that goes back to what you were talking about before. I mean, I, I mean, you may not have said the word precisely, but doesn't that come to just trust? Like when you're all sitting around that table together, implicitly, you, you trust each other. You trust that you, this is everybody's in it for one another, right? Yeah, look, even when when Tibbs first got hired, I remember thinking there was talk about how many years he would get. And, you know, even when there was posturing or negotiation when he was finally signed, how many years yeah. guaranteed he'd get. Remember you that. Know, to me, yeah, and I, I kind of felt like when he got his deal, I'm like, great, you know, this tells you these guys are all in working together. Yeah. They buy in the fact to be a process. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talked about expectations early on. I mean, maybe they exceeded expectations so much in year one that maybe it moved the goalpost back a little further. Okay. You know, uh, for year two, uh, you know, sometimes maybe you have to go backwards a little to be able to go forwards again. You know, that's not uncommon. Sure. But, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I think the challenge that you have, I mean, you know, look at, I mean, you said it. I mean, there, there are questions there about trust. There's questions about buy-in and alignment between coaching staff and front office. But I, I think, you know, the challenge now is as you look at this war chest, you know, I, I think a challenge with Julius is can you get fair market value for him? You know, has he devalued himself? What, what is that? Point, <laughs> you know, it's a good question. And, and the point made before, I mean, like, uh, you know, you know, maybe we also, as Knicks fans, have, have devalued him. Maybe he still has a higher value in other markets than we look at it. Uh, yeah, you know, look, I mean, I, you know, during the year, look, we talk about, you know, IQ, and you write about him a lot, and and OB, you know, uh, RJ, you know, uh, look, I, Quentin Grimes to me, I think it's a huge upside as a player. It's unfortunate yeah. he got injured. You know, yeah, uh, I think he's, yep. I think he's got a high ceiling. You know, I mean, you know, the question is, you know, we watch these guys and I'm assuming you're like me I mean, I'm watching summer league and, you know, I mean, oh. you know, I'm trying to watch the Knicks games, you know, as much as I can get anything. And, you know, I think, you know, you know, do we overvalue these guys? I don't know. But, you know, to your point, you look at the stuff you put out there recently, you know, last, you know, since the all-star break, you look at the minutes guys like Obi and IQ have have played and the results they put in those those last several weeks. I don't know if it's a large enough sample size, but you could also make a case that it's no worse than what the other guys were doing. For sure. Um, last one I, I want to ask you about quickly before I let you go. Uh, and you just kind of hit on some of the, some of the stuff with him, which is like, is it, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder because he's our guy. We drafted him. Like we've seen the big shots and like the, the, he's not afraid of the moment, but there's real, it seems like at least real potential there for this guy to be, to embody potentially a different role, a materially different role that he has now. And maybe whether it's a starting point guard or, or whatever it is, um, it, it, if you're running a team and you see a, a guy, it's like, okay, we might have something here. How, how do you go about planning around that which is to, like the Knicks this offseason, like whether they're going to be in on Jalen Brunson or Malcolm Brogdon via trade or you know, Colin Set, whoever, all these different point guards. But you also have this kid here who you're like, well, he might just be this. Like, how do you, I mean, that's basically your job, right? How do you like balance the, the what could be with also making sure there is a baseline with your organization about like that you know you're, you're doing right by them? 
Well, I have to give uh, my buddy Brian props. I told him I was going to mention his name because, uh, <laughs> you know, we we, 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 uh, we kind of split because he wasn't all in an RJ early in the year when I was just banging his drum. And you I, love RJ. <laughs> I do love RJ. And, and, and conversely, I was the same with IQ and, until the very end. Because I, I, I think there's stereotypes, there's uh, preconceived uh, biases that people have. And I, I think it's kind of ironic because, you know, we look at the coach we, that we have. And, you know, before he was injured, you know, his his prized pupil in D. Rose, I think ever since D. Rose's ascension when he first came in a league, it changed what we all think a point guard looks like. Yes. And, you know, uh, you know, when you look at what Trey Young has done in Atlanta, it's as hard as it is to think about him, you know, and, and obviously what he's meant as a villain to most of us. Uh, you know, I, I think you see what IQ looks like. You know, I think there are different shapes and sizes going to be literally, I think about point yes. guards and, you know, I mean, to me, for your question, I think like you have a game model and I think that a coach says, this is how I want my team to play. Uh, what we do with our coach in our sport, my guess is it's probably similar in the NBA. Uh, we do a positional profile. This is what we think a player looks like in this coach's system. Uh, okay. We look at what a player looks like technically, like how they play individually, how they pass, shoot, dribble, um, you know, play defense, uh, tactically how they play their teammates, you know, maybe it's uh, within the pick and roll or, you know, it's, you know, you know, made different things trying to think basketball analogies, uh, athletically, like physically, uh, you know, well, and just, then psychologically. I'm just thinking you, you, as you're talking, I'm like, Tibbs definitely has a type for his point guards, which as you said before, Kemba clearly didn't fit, but I, I guess maybe he was initially making to make willing to make an exception there. And then that went awry. But I, I wonder how much of it, the, the quickly not starting part of it is, he doesn't fit maybe the archetype that that Thibodeau and the or, or the organization has for like a, a quote unquote starting point guard. And d- like, do you have to adjust from that? If like, it, see, these are the questions I wonder if they're talking about these things. By the yeah. Well, look, I mean, look, you look at Atlanta, right? When they made a trade in the draft to acquire Trey Young, I mean, they, they clearly had an, a, a plan in their mind yes. of, of how their team was going to play. Build they got all around it, him. They got a pick and roll center who's a rim runner, okay, and also is a good shot blocker. Maybe compensate for maybe Trey Young and taking chances on defense. Yep. They surrounded him with other shooters, right? I mean, you know, other than Capella, there's never a time that Trey Young yep. is on a court loaded with shooters. Yep. Uh, you know, so to your point about like what happens with IQ, and as I mentioned, I mean, I, uh, I've gone from being completely skeptical, seeing him as like a combo guard off the bench, fitting really well, like with D Rose, and not to like with another more established point guard. Sure. Now thinking like, you know, maybe we could give him the keys to the car, you know, like, and let him kind of run things. And, you know, when you see how OB shot here down the stretch, um, oh, RJ obviously slumped during it. the course of the year, different times, but I, you know, I think he's clearly shown he's a knockdown jump shooter, you know, like, uh, yeah. is, you know, Fournier, as you mentioned, I mean, you know, clearly can shoot it as can Grimes. If you, if you surrounded IQ with enough shooters, if you gave him a, a, a rim running pick and roll type center, like, Mitch, like Noel, bring it hurt, you know, like Sims. Sims, don't forget you know, Sims, who yeah. I'm also big on, you know, like, uh, yeah. you know, what I would say is, I mean, I think there are pieces there and they've demonstrated it by their performances down the stretch that maybe we have pieces to take on an experiment like this. And I also feel like sometimes we think about like the off season as the only time you can make trades, you know, I mean, the trade deadline, you know, it, it goes on well into the season, you mm-hmm. know, and I don't know that they have to make the point guard decision this off season. Uh, I mean, I think they have to upgrade there. I think we've probably seen Kemba Walker play his last game for the Knickerbockers. I think you're uh, more likely to suit up for the New York Knicks <laughs> next season than Look, Kemba uh, Walker. Uh, it'd be a great story to have D. Rose come back. I just don't know physically what he'll be able to do in general. Yeah. But so, so I think there'll be some reinforcements in general. But uh, I think having, you know, you talk about maybe like what has to happen. 
to make it, and this is a philosophical shift as far as like technically or tactically for your coach, you're going to change how your team plays. Yeah. Cause to your point, I mean, you know, IQ is not the pro to a point guard in a Tom Thibodeau team, you know? Yeah. So, you know, so maybe it's, you know, I had this conversation with friends too, you know, maybe it's acquiring someone like Jalen Brunson who like IQ can play on the wing or holding the ball, can start yeah. off the bench. You know, maybe it's having someone like that to balance the IQ experiment. And I think, you know, I was saying about the positional profiles, we also talk about having an A and a B. So it's not just like a starter reserve, maybe two different types of players each position. Because sometimes you mentioned like, you know, game to game, certain combinations of players can change from a game to game basis, you know? Oh, so sure. you know, maybe having a, a quicker point guard is more downhill, you know, and trying to get the basket versus a guy who tends to be more of a spot up shooter as his, as his alternate. Uh, I mean, for me, I would say, I mean, you know, Jalen Brunson is probably a good advice for someone like IQ. And I think like worst case scenario, if, if the IQ experiment is, is, is extended into next season and given a chance to be the starting point guard, if for some reason we had to blow it up, at least there, there was a B, there's an alternate there. Sure, Whereas yeah. this past year, you know, I mean, and again, it was unfortunate D Rose got hurt, but I mean, with Kemba and D Rose being so similar age wise, the minutes they can play with IQ, I mean, at least on, you know, it's, I think to everybody's probably seemed to, to, to look like until the very end of the season, he really wasn't looked at kind of as a point guard or as a floor general. Mm. There really wasn't much of a plan B going into the season on paper. And I no. think, you know, if, if you are going to go with IQ as your guy, that there's got to be enough of a, if, if he's your A, there's got to be a B to complement it in case it doesn't work. That, have a backup plan. That seems like it's a pretty fundamental good thing to have as, as, as someone who, runs a team. Um, uh, Mike, uh, I, I could sit here and pick your brain for hours, but uh, you have a soccer team to run. Um, I, 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 I would usually ask people at this stage of the podcast if they want to plug or promote anything. Um, I, 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 can I do it for you? Go, go watch Nashville soccer club, play soccer. Is that, is that good? That's good enough for me. I'll tell you what I, I had a, a reporter ask me recently. He asked me, what was the coolest thing that's happened to me since I've been uh, a general manager, major league soccer. Okay. And I said, it has nothing to do with soccer. It's the coolest thing I got to do was to be on <laughs> Nick's film school podcast. Uh, the fact that, that anyone want to talk to me about the Knickerbockers was awesome. So uh, very Come genuinely, on. like uh, I can do this all day. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, we're, I, we'll make this an annual thing. We'll, we'll, um, and who knows, maybe when we do it uh, next year, uh, we'll have some, some uh, happier season to reflect back on. Uh, you're absolutely amazing. Um, I, I would wish you, I wish you the best of luck, but it doesn't seem like you need it because you guys just expansion team doesn't matter win anyway, second year team. I mean, it's amazing to see you from afar. Um, I think I told you I'm going to be in Nashville this summer. I'm going to try to either get to a game or at least meet up with you or something. Um, it'll be my first time. So maybe you could give me a little tour. Done deal for sure. <laughs> All right. This was great. Thanks so much for your time, Mike. Thanks, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Big thanks to Mike for coming on today's pod. John will be back on Friday with a conversation with our buddy from the Knicks beat, Fred Katz of The Athletic. He has some redemption, it appears, in which he wants to set the record straight on what he meant in the last episode and uh, some of the reaction from Nick's Twitter to some of his takes. Uh, so Fred will be back here on Friday. John and I will be doing a Patreon episode. Do you want to hear more of our thoughts on the postseason? We really get into the, the NBA at large. Last week we did our all our our NBA awards picks, our all NBA selections and our playoff predictions which mine are not looking terrible just yet. I'll say that. Not terrible. Um 
I may have been a little too dismissive of this Brooklyn thing and how how well it could work because like KD had a terrible game. Marcus Smart and Al Horford had tremendous games and the they were a layup away from losing. <laughs> so I, I may may have to just hope that Brooklyn that Brooklyn doesn't get too hot or maybe even Ben Simmons comes back and I'll look right. But uh, all that and more context is over at the KFS Patreon. If you want to sign up, uh, we have four tiers. I mean, you guys have heard this spiel, um, but I think you'd, you'd really enjoy joining us for our, our playback watch parties. We're going to go back into playback, I think, next week and watch more of the games with you guys, watch playoff games with you guys. This Brooklyn Boston series has potential to be a classic. Would love to watch some of the games with you guys. And with that being said, um, check out the YouTube channel as well. Um, we are very close to 9,000 subscribers, and I really want to get to 10,000 by the start of next season. So if you're listening to this and haven't subscribed yet, please do us the favor and heading over to the YouTube channel. Um, search for Nick's Film School and subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. I think that's it. Um, if you also are listening on your podcast and you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and review. Until next time, thank you for listening. Stay safe out there, and we will speak with you soon. Peace. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.